Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. What we're talking about today um, is can be a little bit of a controversial topic within the church, and I'm just going to address that so we can all take a deep breath. We're going to talk about, you guys ready? Drum roll, drum roll. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <sighs> okay, because it can be a little bit of controversial topic within the church world and different denominations and different paradigms and church backgrounds, but I hopefully will, will help stir up some curiosity in you that maybe wasn't there before. And so we looked at the first week, the Holy Spirit being our comforter, our counselor, our advocate, our paraclete, the help that comes alongside of us. And Jesus says, it is good that I go away from you, is what he told the disciples, so that I can send another helper. And so this helper that you and I have in the Holy Spirit is the same helper that the disciples had when he was walking and ministering with them. And then last week we talked about the Holy Spirit's work on the inside of us and that there is this new birth, there is this born again regeneration that takes place with our spirit that we are body, soul, and spirit. We are body, um, soul being our emotions, our personality, and our spirit is the part that connects with God. And until it is, is interacted or awakened through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, we are dead in our sin because our sin separates us from God. And Jesus you know, if you've, if, if you've been to church, you know that Jesus has paid the price, that final penalty of death because of our sin. And through him, we have everlasting life and forgiveness of our sin. But it is the Holy Spirit that works in us to regenerate, to rebirth, to, to, to give a new birth to our spirit, and then to begin to work in us, directing us in a way that pleases God, where our flesh our, our, our carnal self wants us to do things that are opposite of what God wants for us. The Holy Spirit wants us to do things that are opposite of what the flesh wants for us. One way leads to death. The other way leads to life. And Moses says in, in the Old Testament, he says, I put before you life and death, but I pray that you would choose what? Life. Right answer, okay? We, we want to choose life. And so today in the New Testament church, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that places before us a choice of life and death when it comes to following the things of God. And so we're gonna pick up here in Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, we see this is after Jesus's his resurrection, uh, before his um, um, ascension into heaven. He's spending some more time with his disciples. And in Acts chapter one, verses four through five, um, once again, he was eating with them, them being the disciples. And he says, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends the gift that he promised. As I told you before, he says, John baptized with water, 
But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, look, guys, I've already told you this once before. And he actually did the night he was arrested, the night before he was crucified, in his final um, discourse or his final conversation with his disciples, that's when he made the promise that, that it's okay that I'm going away because I'm sending another helper, and he is the Holy Spirit. And so he goes on in verses 6 through 8. And it says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, I love this as I was thinking about this last night, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. Have you guys ever traveled with a toddler or a younger child? And they're always asking what? Are we there yet? Like, like we can just, li- like we could just be out of the driveway and it was like, are we there yet? And I love Amelia, my youngest daughter, but she doesn't have the concept of time. And so we can be driving for 30 minutes and she's like, dad, we've been driving for 10 hours. And I'm like, it feels like it. Would you please? Like I should have gave you Benadryl before we left. So you could have taken out, right? Life hack in case you didn't know, right? And so the disciples are asking, they keep asking Jesus, which doesn't mean they asked once, but at the meal, they keep bringing it back up and they keep saying, when is the time come for you to free Israel? And I caught this, and to restore our kingdom. They've missed the point. They're saying, hey, this is about us. But God did not send Jesus to restore mine and yours kingdom mine and yours kingdom, right? He came to restore whose kingdom? His kingdom and to expand his kingdom. The disciples were thinking just about themselves, but Jesus is not just getting to restore the disciples' kingdoms, his kingdom. He's getting ready in this moment in the book of Acts to expand God's kingdom. And so we see verse eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he's saying, look, this is how the promise is going to come about. He says, you're going to receive power um, and you're going to be my witness. He doesn't say you will go and witness because our faith is about being more than it is about doing. But what happens is we try to take culture and we try to blend it with the church and culture says, do, do, do. Maybe I shouldn't say that, right? <laughs> right? Just, just do all things. But scripture and our faith life, our relationship with Jesus says, just be who I've created you to be. And we get these two confused. He says, look, I don't want you just to witness, but I want you to be my witness. And so Jesus is, is predicting here the coming of the Holy Spirit, but we can see even a, a prophetic word in each of the four gospels about the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called the synoptic gospels. Okay. It means that they say the same thing. It means they say the same thing. And so a lot of them have a lot of the same similar stories, similar conversations with Jesus. And then you have the book of John. 
And the, the book of John is written by Jesus's favorite disciple. And he even refers to himself in that, like, like the one Jesus loved. And a lot of times, the book of John will portray a different perspective and have some different stories and some different conversations than what the first three gospels have. But in this instance, when it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they all say the same thing. We see it in Matthew 3.11. We see it in Mark 1, 7 through 8. We see it in Luke 3.16. We see it in John 1, 32 through 34. And they are essentially all saying the same thing. He says, I baptize you. This is, this is John the Baptist. He is the forerunner. He is um, um, leading the way for Jesus' um, being revealed to mankind at this point as the Messiah. And so John the Baptist makes this statement, and every gospel um, illustrates this. It says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I so much that I'm not worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the what? You guys are even afraid to say it, right? It's like he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, now each gospel says essentially the same thing. And I know I'm giving you guys a lot of scripture and a lot of information. It's because I want you to have an understanding of how the Holy Spirit operates in our life. And so my encouragement for you in every single message of this series, is don't just take my word for it, but to go back and read and pray and seek what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you in alignment with this. And so John says, look, I baptize you with water. But there's someone who's coming after me. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals or, or you know, one passage says to tie his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we see this terminology of baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and those of us who, who are coming from, you know, Pentecostal backgrounds or charismatic backgrounds or assembly of God, church of God backgrounds, you know, uh, there, there is a lot of lingo and verbiage that is used that may not be understood um, in other denominations. Do you guys agree with that? Like there's terminology like this baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, different denominations may use these terminologies in different ways and in some sense meaning the same things, but in other sense different. And this is where like there's confusion in the body of Christ and those on the outside are looking in sometimes and be like, they don't know what they're talking about. And that's why like I wanna help us maybe have a little bit better understanding. And I told you guys the first week, for me to describe the totality of the Holy Spirit is like putting ocean water in a jar saying, this is what the ocean is like. And you see that jar, you're not gonna fully understand the depth and the greatness of the ocean from what's in that jar. It's just a peak. And so when, when we hear words like baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, what, is that, what does that mean at the moment of salvation? What does that mean at baptism in water? What does that mean with an encounter and experience with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When you are saved, when you say yes to Jesus and you repent from your sins, and repent just simply means to be going in one direction and to turn in the other direction. So what you're doing in that moment of repentance is you're turning from your ways and you're turning into the direction God has for you. In that moment, the Holy Spirit regenerates your spirit, and you are born again, and he is residing on the inside of you, leading you, 
teaching you. Jesus says that, that he will remind you of all truths. And, and so we see this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and, and we'll get into this in more in a couple of weeks in this particular chapter. It says the human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free. And that's how in, in this room, we come from all different backgrounds. We come from different denominations. We come from different social statuses, different education statuses. We all come from different backgrounds. But he says, but we have all been baptized into one body. Everyone say one body. Into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. And so when you were saved... When you had that moment where you said yes with Jesus, the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body, into the body of Jesus, which is the church. And so you were baptized into the body by the Holy Spirit. And then you were, that is a salvation moment. And then today, after the 11 o'clock service, we're having water baptism. And so if that's you and you haven't taken that next step in, in, in water baptism, I want to encourage you. It's not, it's not um, a necessity for salvation, but I, believe, I do believe it is a necessity to walk out the fullness of God's power and presence in our life. It's like unlocking a cheat code on a video game, right? We, except it's not a cheat code. It is a free gift that we don't have to figure out. We just walk in obedience to it. And so what we have done a lot in the church world is would you guys agree that maybe we've made baptism optional? Mm, I like that, right? We've, we've almost presented baptism as optional because it's not a requirement. And in our culture today, well, if I'm not required to do it, I may not, I may not do it. And so I want to encourage you today, don't see it as an, as, as an option, but see it as something that God wants for you. Jesus was baptized, and we're followers of Jesus. You guys ever played follow the leader? All right, like on the playground, they go on the monkey bars, you go on the monkey bars, they swing, you swing. We're following Jesus as our leader. He goes into the water. What do we do? We go into the water. I'm just saying, all right, take you back to grade school, all right? And so then we see salvation, we see water baptism, but then in the book of Acts, we see this other experience um, with the Holy Spirit and we can kind of see it as something to avoid because we don't understand it. Um, it's weird. It's scary. It's spooky. Um, we, you know, because of YouTube now, we, you know, some of you guys may watch those videos of churches that are out of order and out of hand and think that is how the spirit operates. That is way out of order and that is detrimental to the body, to the church as a whole. And so let me, let me um, create a safe place here. Can I do that? Um, I want us to understand that, um, well, let's, let's, let's just read it. Um, Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. Um, I want to stay with my notes here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Acts, chap Acts chapter two, um, verses two through four. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring and mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present 
was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. Some translations say tongues, speaking in other languages, other tongues, as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. And so we see this word on the day of Pentecost. And, you know, there are denominations that are called, you know, United Pentecostal Churches. And there are denominations that are built on this word. And so in culture, we kind of look at this word as, as having this hierarchy, special meaning. But the word Pentecost um, simply just means 50. 50. And the festival of Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. And so it says that the disciples were, were in one room on the day of Pentecost. And sometimes we can just have this as like, oh, that was Pentecost. Like that moment, that day in particular. But the festival of Pentecost had been happening for years and generations up until that point. And the festival of Pentecost was actually a part of what's called the festival of weeks. And it started at Passover. And if we know the story of Passover, that was when, you know, the, the children of Israel were freed from Egypt because of the Passover lamb. And that Moses, who was the leader that was freeing them from Egypt, gave them the instruction to slaughter a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost so that the angel, when it came in to do the work in Egypt to free them, would pass over their house. That's where we get the term Passover. And so they leave Egypt and they're in the wilderness for 40 years wandering because of disobedience. But before that, before there was 40 years, it was 40 days. And then on the 50th day of them wandering, of them traveling, Moses meets with God and brings down the law, what we call the Ten Commandments. And so think about this and think about God's intentionality about this moment that 50 days after Passover with the children of Israel leaving Egypt, Moses goes up and brings down the law. 50 days after what we call Easter, the final Passover, where Jesus is the final sacrificial lamb for our forgiveness of sins, 50 days after that Passover, the Holy Spirit ascends. Jesus, or descends, Jesus ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit descends. There's some intentionality in that, wouldn't you say? That it's not a coincidence that on Pentecost, that first the, the, the word of God came down, the law of God, but then at the new Pentecost, the spirit of God came down. And so there's nothing magical. And it's where we get this term Pentecostal. It's where we get the term Pentecostalism. And, and it usually defines a movement in Christianity that thinks of baptism of the Holy Spirit as an experience that follows new birth. That's a oftentimes marked with speaking in tongues. That's the stereotype of what Pentecostalism means. And really, guys, it's, it's an oversimplification of it. When you look at the global church, and how the church is growing and expanding in other parts of the world. Um, Pentecostalism is usually is, is more diverse in the understanding of his work globally than what we picture from our diverse Pentecostal Church of God background that moves only in this way and in our understanding. And what's more common is that there is more of a diverse of the spirit worldwide and that we see uh, and and and. The emphasis is on this, guys. The emphasis is on experiencing God in a new way in our lives daily and in ways that we can't always understand and describe. 
And that is a departure from how we live here in, 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 the West, in, in the West with our Western Christianity where we put a lot of, and, and don't misunderstand me or misquote me on this, where we put an overemphasis on doctrine and theology. Those things are so vital. But sometimes when we sing about this, we can build up walls with our doctrine and theology because we're afraid and we don't fully understand and can't fully describe. You guys tracking with me? And so I want us to, to, to understand two things, okay? Um, two things. The baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be spooky or emotionally dramatic. It doesn't have to be spooky or emotionally dramatic. And if you've grown up in that circle, you've been in those services where you didn't want to invite your friends, right? And for me, my first encounter, like when Jennifer and I started dating in high school, she wasn't coming to my church because she said, you're coming to to my church. If we're going to do church together, you're going to come to my church. I'm not leaving my church. And so I was like, well, I'll go to my church on Sunday morning, and I'll go to her church on Sunday night. It was a Pentecostal spirit-filled church. And Sunday night services, those of you who know the background, those are the ones that get a little crazy, right? And so, so she's like, Lord, just let there be worship, a good word, and let's go home. God did not answer that prayer, <laughs> okay? He did not answer that prayer. And there were some things that took place that I did not fully understand. And up until that point, I'd had an opinion and that church was the cult in town. Like it was the joke, like it was a cult. I didn't know what went on in the walls. I just assumed. And then I experienced it. And I was, I was a little like, what is this? But something sparked on the inside of me that grew a curiosity. And I was like, why have I never heard this? Why have I never seen this? And so I began my own journey and deconstructing in some senses what I'd grown up hearing. And now I'm in the process of, of deconstructing some things and, and, and seeing God in, in, in a new light and scripture, a new light. But I want you to understand it doesn't have to be spooky or scary or emotionally dramatic. God wants to meet you right where you are. There was this one time at, at, and, and, and sometimes the church wants to hype it up. And that's, that's fine, it's great. Like we were at youth camp one year and they were preaching on this and, and, and the preacher wanted to use an illustration after he had, had read this message to illustrate what, what tongues of fire probably looked like. And so he's preaching and he's teaching and then you see these three stakes come out from the stage like tall poles, poles and, and on top of them are like these chunks of meat. I'm like, what this guy did? Dude had bought cow tongue and had put them on a stake and tried to set them on fire in the service. And apparently they didn't try it before because they didn't light, so they found some kerosene or lighter fluid and finally set them on. Do you know what burning tongue smells like? Disgusting, right? And so sometimes we can go to the extreme and trying to present that, and we miss the mark in our creativity. And, and, and my, hear my heart, my goal and my job is not to be fancy with words not to be an advocate for the Holy Spirit in your life because he is the advocate in your life. He doesn't need an advocate. He is the advocate. And so it doesn't have to be spooky or emotionally dramatic. It can be done in order and honor. Um, and a lot of times I've heard people say, well, the two symbols that, that God uses is wind and fire and those things are chaotic. You can't control those. You can't control the wind. You can't control the fire. Um, when those things are uncontrolled, what do they do? They cause damage. But when wind is um, directed honorably and controlled within 
means and fire is used to bring strength, to bring energy, to bring comfort, to bring safety, to bring warmth. And so it's not that we control the Holy Spirit, but it's that we, we follow his direction in a way that I believe God would have to be honoring and life-giving, not corruptive and chaotic. Um, and so I want you to stay open and I want you to search scripture. I want you to stay open and I want you to search scripture. I want you to stay open and I want you to search scripture. And so we're gonna look at, at three other passages in addition to what we're seeing here in Acts uh, very quickly. Um, Acts chapter 18. So just write the references down. Go back and read for yourself. Acts chapter 18, verses 14 through 17. Acts chapter six. Um, Philip is the guy in the story here in Acts chapter six. He's been chosen as a deacon to help feed the widows because in this time, the disciples were doing everything. They were preaching the sermons, doing the outreach. They were doing everything. It's like, look, we can't keep this up. And so Philip was chosen in Acts chapter six because he was full of the spirit and he was chosen to be a deacon to help take care of this. But now we see Philip growing in his ministry and he's preaching in Samaria and a revival breaks out. And in verse 14, it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John laid hands on them, on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So they had, they had believed, they had been baptized, but they had not had the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John prayed on them, or Peter and, Peter and James prayed, prayed for them. Um, and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, um, two chapters over. In this particular instance, Peter is given a vision and given direction on how the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus is gonna be taken to the Gentiles. And so he goes to the house of this man named Cornelius, who was a Roman officer, who had also been given a vision and direction by God that someone was coming to see him. How crazy is that? And so these two guys in different locations, we're given a vision about meeting together and, and the transference of the gospel being moved just from the children of Israel, just from Jerusalem, now into the Gentiles. And so we see this in verse 44. It says, even as Peter was saying these things, so he's explaining to, to Cornelius and his family in his home in this point, the gospel, who Jesus is, it says, even as Peter is explaining these things. It says, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and, not just tongues, but and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, Cornelius asked for him to stay with him for several days. So, so here, you know, um, God's kind of shaking things up a little bit. There's not salvation, baptism in water, and then baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is salvation, Holy Spirit baptism. Like, all right, let me get in the water. Let me, let me complete this work. Let me follow all the way through. And notice this took place in a home. This wasn't necessarily in a large corporate church setting. This was in conversation about who God is 
in Jesus, what he has done for us. And so last story we'll look at here in Acts chapter 19. We actually even looked at this the first week, and this is possibly where some of us are at in this room, and maybe with, with our walk and our journey in faith and what God is doing in our lives. Acts chapter 19, verses one through seven. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus. And just so you know, Paul, Apollos is, is a preacher, a pastor, so to speak, going through teaching, not really an apostle, but he is a co-laborer in the ministry. And he says, while he's in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior region until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. And in verse two, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they are believers, and he's asking, did you receive the Holy Spirit, meaning the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he says, no. They replied, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And then he asked the question here, then what baptism did you experience? And they replied, John's baptism, the baptism of John. And then Paul helps them understand this. He says, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And so at this point, it says that as soon as they heard, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they experienced John's baptism. But now that Jesus has come, has ascended, they experienced water baptism in the name of Jesus. They were baptized in Jesus, his name. It says, then when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So this is a third, fourth experience actually that we see in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is experienced by believers. These guys had not even heard about it. And so some of us in this room, this may be the very first time that you're hearing about it. Maybe the first time you've experienced, if you've been coming, you've experienced maybe worship that's, that's a little bit different. We believe that's the Holy Spirit moving in you, drawing you to himself. But I want to give you five truths about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that, that I hope will um, be a help um, on your journey, on your pursuit of more of God in your life. And, and here's what we believe. God has already poured everything out. Everything that he has for us is freely available. Understand that. Forgiveness is freely available. New life is freely available. Power is freely available. But what we have to do, and I know it's like, I, saw, I thought you said you don't have to do anything. Paul says we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that there are things in our life that we have to work out. If you're gonna get stronger physically, what do you gotta do? You gotta work out, okay? If there are things that, that, that you wanna get stronger and grow in in the Lord, you have to work out. Paul says that I buffet my body, right? I like to put a buffet in my body at times. But he says there are things that, you guys just get that. I'll explain it later, right? Um, but there are things that, that we have to work out. And so let me give you five truths to help us understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit and its power working in our life. Um, the first one is this, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a normal and expected experience in the New Testament. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit was a normal and expected experience in the New Testament. We see it in the book of Acts. We see Paul talking about it in his letters to the church, um, that it is something that he talks about being filled, but then he also talks about um, continue to be filled. That it's, it's oftentimes in, in the Pentecostal world, we present it as a one-time event. If you've experienced that, you're good to go. But I leak. I don't know about you guys, but like, like I need to be, that's probably not the right word, right? <laughs> right? But, but like, like, I get tired. I get depleted. And Paul talks about to, to be being filled, not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, 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 that word there, the tense is to be being filled not just a one-time event. But when we read the New Testament, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a normal and expected experience in the New Testament. Um, Number two, the second truth, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience for today. It's an experience for today. Um, And and there's this passage of scripture that, that talks about that tongues will cease and knowledge and wisdom will cease until the perfect one has come. And a lot of times we reference that as this, like the closing of scripture being like the word is canonization, which means the scripture was, was completed, that that is the perfect work. Uh, but we know that there's even someone more perfect than the word that is coming, right? That Jesus being the perfect one. And so all those things are still in operation until the one who is perfect comes and like I said a couple of weeks ago, like we will see things more clearly at that point. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience for today. Um, and, and I also want you to, to, to get this. It's not for the elitist Christian. Hear my heart on that. It's not for those that you think are better than you. Because we all have equal position at the foot of the cross. Okay. It is not for those who, who we see as elitist. Um, there is evidence in the experience. We see this commonly in the New Testament, the evidence of speaking in tongues, and I'll, I'll address that topic next week. Um, but we also see that they praised the Lord. We also see that they prophesied. Um, and Joel talks about a scripture in the Old Testament, says, and Paul quotes him, In Acts, he says that your young men will dream dreams and your old men will see visions. I may have got that, but there are visions and there are dreams that come. Some who experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is an emotional moment for some. Um, There is an an overabundance of joy. Some cry, some laugh. There's even times where your physical body, like your, your, your body can't contain the weight of that moment and you may fall to the floor. Anybody ever seen that? Just address it. You've seen that? It's like, you're like, I don't want to admit that I saw that because it was real. And like in my day, we had these um, cloths, like we had blankets under the chair. So if a lady fell, we would go put a cloth on them. It's like, what are we doing? Are we, are we burying them? What's the implication of this? But, but, but people experience the Holy Spirit. And like I said last week, he is a personal God. And so your experience may be different than someone else's experience. And I don't want you to judge your experience and the validity of your experience based off what you see someone else experiencing. You know, I've read 
stories in this because I want to be so careful in how I communicate this. Like, like there are guys who that are these giants. D.L. Moody, who's a giant in the faith, wasn't a very good preacher until he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then when he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he preached the same message. Nothing changed in his content, but more people got saved as a result. And so there was a gifting that was empowered on him because of the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, you may have an, over sense, like, like an overwhelming sense of warmth for me when I experienced that. November 10th, 1996, it was the day after my 18th birthday. It was as if someone had just poured a five-gallon bucket of warm water over my body. And something I can't explain. And I was terrified for two and a half years. I studied and my experience happened at a corporate setting. But a lot of the people that I talk to, it doesn't happen in a corporate setting. It happens in a private setting. They experience it in their car. They experience it in their room, in their office, in the shower. When they're pursuing the things of God. God says this in Jeremiah. He says, if you look for me with your whole heart, you will find me. He says, I will let you find me. And a lot of times, guys, we think that's just in a corporate setting. But we spend way more time out with him and outside of Sunday than we do just on Sunday mornings. But I want you to know it's an, it's an experience for today. Um, praying in tongues is a benefit of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the most controversial topics in the church as far as doctrinally. There's denominational splits. There's, you know, arguments. There's cessationists. There's, you know, sensationalists. Um, but it's something that we see all throughout the New Testament. And this is what I'll talk about next week. Like, what's the difference between praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues in another language, and the gift of tongues and interpretation? That's two different things. And some of you are like, I just don't want to hear anything about tongues. Can we just not talk about that? We got to talk about it. It's in Scripture. We can't talk about the things we want to talk about and not talk about the things we don't want to talk about. That's what gets us in trouble anyways, right? And so next week, you know, hope you come back. <laughs> it's like, I ain't ever going back there. You know, we'll talk about the differences where we see Paul describing the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and next week, we'll talk about praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, and the gift of tongues and interpretation. And then the next week, we'll talk about spiritual, spiritual gifts. Um, but praying in tongues is a benefit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives us power and boldness for ministry. Baptism of the Holy Spirit gives us power and boldness for ministry. Uh, Jesus even promised this. He said, you will receive what? Power. You will receive power. And the word there is actually the Greek word dunamis, which means what? Power. It means actually dynamite, power within. And I really want to make a Good Times JJ reference, but I know most people in here have probably never seen Good Times. No, right, dynamite, right? And so there's this power that we have, this boldness and this power that we have. Um, and here's what I want you to understand, guys. It's not just for you. It's not just for you. And, and we can see this transition take place when you look at the disciples in the gospels and you see the disciples in the book of Acts, they're not the same. After Jesus' arrest, they were hiding behind locked doors. Like on the night of his arrest, it says that they all desert him. Peter, who's like, Jesus, I will die for you. And then at the end, he's like, I don't even know Jesus. But at one point, he's saying, Jesus, I'll die for you. 
And then he's saying, I don't even know who he is. He's afraid. And we see the disciples hiding behind locked doors because they're afraid of being arrested and found out they followed Jesus. And then we see in the book of Acts, after they have this encounter with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Peter steps forward after denying Jesus and declares that this is the one whom you crucified. And at one point they're arrested and the leaders tell them, you gotta stop preaching. I'm like, we ain't gonna stop preaching. No matter what you do to us, we're not gonna stop preaching. And so they took them in the back and whooped them and they went out celebrating that they'd been whooped. Like something changed. What was it? It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowering them in that moment. And so you're like, well, I don't know if it's gonna be that great of a transformation for me. And, and this is where we get it wrong a lot of times, guys, is in churches that talk about this and promote this, what happens is, is we focus on the power that takes place here but it's not about what takes place here. It's about what takes place out there. And that that boldness is for ministry, not for an experience in the church. It's to take the church's experience outside the walls of the church. And so it's for boldness. And you may be saying, well, I'm not a super charismatic. I'm not an energetic person. There is something to be said about a quiet reserve and a quiet boldness. You don't have to be the energetic, running the aisles, shouting, screaming. Man, give me someone who's bold and quiet. <laughs> and they're the sneaky ones, right? They're the ones that I know, like, like they're gonna be there. Do not underestimate the power of my sneakiness, right? They're right there with you. And so don't think you have to have this complete personality change. God's gonna use who you are, okay? He's gonna use who you are. And the last point is this. Um, it's not something we work for. And I want you to get this, guys, because this is where I've seen the damage done. It's not something we work for, but it's something we ask for. And everything in our relationship with Christ and everything that we have is because of something that he has done. You and I have forgiveness of our sins because he paid the penalty of death. You and I have new life because he didn't stay in the grave. And you and I have the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit because he ascended into heaven. Not because you checked off all the marks on being a good Christian. He said, unless I ascend to heaven, the Holy Spirit will not come. Guys, he has ascended to heaven. And so it's not something you work for. It's not something that you drum up emotionally, but it's something that you ask for. And some of you may think, well, I've asked for it, but I don't know if I got it. It's, here's what I believe is, is happening, is you are comparing your experience with someone else. A really good friend of mine, um, him and his wife were our youth leaders at our first church when we were youth pastors and then they were young adult leaders for us when we were in Jackson and they both grew up in a very, very small rural holiness church where they all wore the same color dresses and it was just, it was not a good environment. And so she was freed from that. But then she started seeing 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit presented corporately in a way that seemed healthier. Um, and so she would come to the front and she would ask to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and she would never have the evidence of speaking in tongues and the way that she thought it was supposed to happen and what she had saw. And then she really dealt with guilt and shame because of that, because she felt like even because of her teaching from years past and even the new experiences that she had, that, that there was something wrong with her, that she wasn't um, good enough. Let me just let you know, we said this last week, there is nothing you can do to be good enough and there's nothing you can do to be bad enough. But there are some things that you and I, we have to, to walk out in our life to reach, and I, I even hate using this term, to reach new levels in our relationship with God. And it's not that we're reaching new levels, but we're growing in a greater understanding and in a greater depth. And when that happens, you and I, we're, we're able to walk in a greater power at times. But that doesn't mean that who you were before that moment, you were any less of any less loved by God, any less of having an impact. You know, I loved my children when they were toddlers and doing crazy things, and I will love them when they have kids. It doesn't mean I love you like love them any less. God doesn't love you any less as you're growing in relationship with him. And so it's not something you work for. It's something that you ask for. And, and Luke says this, um, actually Jesus is, is quoting this and Luke writes it down. He says, if you being sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And in all my study and trying to balance this grace and truth, um, some of us are unable to be filled um, in the fullness of, of God, God's presence and power in our life because we are allowing other things to fill our lives. I said this in prayer last week, but it's because that's what I've been studying is, is, is we are allowing other things. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe, it's, um, maybe it is priorities. We are allowing mindset. Scripture talks about strongholds. We sing about walls. Some of us may have strongholds and walls because of previous teachings or experiences that we've built up. It's not that there's anything wrong with you. It's that like you've just got some things you've got to go through and grow through. My heart and desire is not to put chains of bondage on you about this, but to release chains of bondage that have maybe been placed on you in the past. And so we're not going to do a corporate baptism experience because I would rather you take that with you out these walls in an intimate moment with your creator. And so I want to do this. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And so can we pray together? Father, I just come to you this morning. God, I thank you for your word. God, that there's nothing more powerful than your word. Where my words fall short, God, let your grace and your spirit fill in the gaps. God, for those that lifted their hands today, God, for salvation, for a new birth in them, God, I pray that you meet them right where they're sitting. Whether they lifted their heart or lifted their hand or, or, or their heart was raised within them, Father. 
God, that they would repent, that they would turn from the life of, of sin and death and turn to the life of, of freedom and forgiveness and righteousness that is found only in you and you alone. God, that you would order their steps as they believe in their heart that you died for them, giving them salvation, that you were buried for them, giving them new life. God, that, that you rose again and ascended into heaven that we could walk in new power. God, those that lifted their hand in, in pursuit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God, I just pray protection over this word today. God, that the enemy would not steal away what you have planted. God, that any distraction that would, would take root, God, would, um, would be quenched. God, for us as your church, God, we don't just wanna have an outpouring of your power and presence within these walls. God, we want to see you move in our lives Monday through Saturday, in our families, in our homes. God, help us to understand that this life that you have for us is not just the forgiveness, the power, the new life. It's not just about us. It's so that we can be your witness to those around us. So, Father, we thank you for this word. We seal it on our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap this morning. Let's go.